Welcome to Tech in the Right Direction, the podcast. This week, I'll be speaking with Shruti Rao. Shruti is the co-founder and CBO at Vendia, a serverless multi-cloud platform inspired by the tenets of blockchains that enables IT firms to manage distributed data and code. She has spent most of her professional life scaling businesses, investing, and as an advisor for projects in technology and crypto. Before Vendia, she led the business development for AWS, as well as high-profile deals for enterprises such as Bank of America and AT&T. Welcome to the show, Shruti. I'm so excited to have you on. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. All right, let's get started. So as a woman in tech, can you share with us your career journey and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. I think all women should give tech an opportunity, and I'll tell you why, using my own background. So I I grew up in India, in a small town in India, where my parents uh, wanted me to either pursue and become an engineer or a doctor. There were so many um, Indian kids growing up in India. One thing that my dad always said was, he said, just being an engineer is not enough. He said, you have to be a triple threat. Um, what he meant by that was, this is a very funny thing, that he said, you've got to know enough technology, but you've got to have enough business acumen to know when to apply it and how to monetize it and make money off of it and know enough law to keep you out of trouble and do the right thing. So you've got to have all three, whether it's through education, whether it's through just learning on your own, Whatever it may be, these three facets are the most important parts of, of life for anyone, whether it's a boy or a girl, especially important for a girl, because he said, if you want to be someone who builds things, who, who, who wants to have big things in life, not, not just in terms of money, but big impact, then these are the three things that you're supposed to do. So uh, I moved to America, um, you know, early dot-com era, um, started off of my career in consulting in technology and consulting with McKinsey, um, then went to business school, then did a couple of leadership development programs with AT&T, where of going and working in their um, corp dev and MA. So I did the AT&T and DirecTV and Singular mergers. So uh, an angle to the technology, but not just doing technology, helped a lot with, uh, with uh, my MBA there. Um, then ended up at Bank of America. I did uh, the merger for Bank of America, Countrywide and Merrill Lynch merger. And uh, after that, I mean, it was it was something else. Back in 2008, if you remember all the things that were going down in the mortgage servicing, what I felt like I was missing was I was spending so much time on the cost side, on the how do we merge these two, three companies together and decrease the cost uh, allocations, cost implications to this joint big company now. And then how do we effectively sell, cross-sell across to each other? What I was missing was, hey, how do I focus on the revenue side? Because look, you can decrease the cost. You can keep decreasing the cost. 
but at, at, there is diminishing returns at this point. I mean, you mm-hmm. can't have zero cost. I mean, even if you did, that would be the end of it. But the revenue side, now that was interesting. Also, that was uh, something that was nagging at me that that I was not getting fulfilled because I wasn't building, that I wasn't building new things, building different things. Mm-hmm. So I decided I've got to go actually build things. And hey, what better place to build than than tech? Um, but not just building for building's sake. So uh, through on the way through a startup, I ended up at uh, AWS. That's where I met my co-founder, Dr. Tim Wagner who founded the serverless movement and created AWS uh, Lambda, which is you know now for AWS and other cloud companies making over a billion dollars a year in run rate um, and ended up at AWS. That's, that's, this is a long winded way to get back to tech, to get back to where I started, but I had this exposure to uh, building and technology throughout the way. Uh, I say this, I started off this conversation with uh, every woman out there who's listening should, should, I think, aspire to go eventually into tech because even if you're not in tech, because take a look at just what I said about my background. I've been in everything from consulting to telecom, to TV, to banking, to a startup and, and then tech that is being used by all of these companies. It would, it would seem very all over the place to someone. As women, we need, sometimes we expect things to look perfect, but if you zoom out, if you really zoom out into my career, you will see a straight line from my undergraduate degree in computer science and engineering to where I'm now as a founder of a series B startup in, in a deep tech space that is serving all of these industries. So you'll see a perfectly straight line there. If I didn't go all over the place, I wouldn't have realized what they needed, what are the problems they needed to be solved. So I, I recommend to all of your listeners that if your career looks like it's all over the place, that's really, really good for you. You will get there faster than if someone took the, the path that everyone else walked through. So, uh, yeah, my recommendation is everyone should think of how can I get there with the experience that I have. Jennifer, back to you. That's great. I mean, I am just so impressed with your background, your career journey, and all the different pieces. I also love, love, love what your dad said, which is so true. If you can't apply what you're learning to business and to revenue, then why do it, right? So that's that is so great. What what a smart man he is. <laughs> um, and you know, every woman should think about a tech career because tech touches everything, every industry, every um, job role. You have to have some tech in order to make it today. So I think your journey really spells out how important it is to have all the pieces. Absolutely. You're 100% right on that. That's great. All right. So tell us more about blockchain and where we are with it today, because you hear so much about crypto and blockchain 
And I want to make sure that people understand what it's all about. Right. Blockchain is this very interesting word, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You ask 10 people of what they think about blockchain, you'll get 10 different answers. It's a, uh, it's very nebulous. It's a, uh, it's a very cool thing. You know, it was like AI was about a decade ago. You ask 10 people what AI was, everyone told you different things all the way from it's a thing on a PowerPoint presentation to, uh, you know, the, the thing in the Terminator that takes over the world. So it depends who you ask. But before we go into the religiosity or the, the technology itself, it, it behooves us to take a step back and say, okay, what are some of the problems that are out there today that we would need a new kind of technology to solve? Uh, I'll give you my own uh, example and my own experience here. So at AWS, after I worked with Tim, Tim on uh, his serverless division, scaling the serverless business, I started the blockchain category for AWS. Um, and I met 1,092 unique customers. 1,092. Uh, I, I took notes, copious notes on all of these folks. And then in, in a data-driven company as AWS, it's very important to understand the trend line. So one of the things that I heard repeatedly from these 1,092 companies that I spoke to was this. And this was irrespective of what industry they came from, how big or small they were. So they could have been energy, financial services, retail, CPG, um, semiconductor, did not matter. Didn't matter if they were you know, the Exxon mobiles of the world or they were a small startup. What they said was, look, we have a lot of partners you know, take any industry, a lot of partners. And we're all, we've all invested in these data making mechanisms. You know, last 20 years, everybody has been saying data is a new oil. We got to make more data. Data is very important. So sure, we're all making lots and lots of data. We have IOTs, we have mobiles, we have digital transformation, you know, everything's making a lot of data. Except all of this data that they're making is getting stuck where they're being made. So if I am a bank and I have a partner that processes, you know, let's say I work with Experian or any kind of a FICO score company, I'm making data and let's say Jennifer is applying for a loan. Uh, they're making data, they're assessing Jennifer on your, on your uh, credit worthiness. The data that I need is getting stuck in my partner's and uh, I can't, I just don't have access to that data so I can do something with it. I mean, the, the most popular one is people start talking about this in, in semiconductor company. We've all heard this, right? Chip crisis. Everybody's got chip crisis. You're not making enough cars. Why chip crisis? We're not making enough iPhone 14s. Why chip crisis? So where is this chip crisis coming from? There is a chip manufacturing company and they have tens of partners spread across all over the world. Somebody's making wafers, somebody's making the dye, somebody's assembling this. There are a lot of partners. Everybody has super specialization. Everybody's making a certain part of the widget and they just don't talk to each other. And the way they talk to each other is very, um, very fragmented. It's all point-to-point -point connections. You know, they send emails back and forth, maybe some batch files. So the company that's supposed to 
supposed to have their name on it that sends that chip to that particular car company just does not have access to all of this data to tell the car company, hey, we will be able to give you a million chips on such and such a date because they just don't know. Yes, they have million wafers, but they don't have million dyes. So that becomes the fragmented data, dispersed data becomes a problem. Now, how are we going to tackle this issue? Because this super specialization keeps increasing and the fragmentation keeps increasing. How are we gonna tackle this issue if there is not a plumbing between all of these companies? None of these companies also wanna give up their entire data to another company and say, here you go, take all of it, use whatever you need. So how do you enable these companies to share some of their data without giving up control. And that's what necess necessitates something like a blockchain, something like a distributed ledgers that works across companies. Each party owns their own data, doesn't give up control of their data to anyone else, but only shares with the parties that they're supposed to see. And do so with full confidence because there is, you know, lineage and you see who you shared with, what you've shared with, when you've shared, how much you shared, and you have full transparency and visibility. Uh, now, again, I'm not talking about, you know, Ethereum or a public blockchain, but I'm talking about the companies you and I buy from on a day-to-day -day basis that are struggling right now because they just don't have a way to move data back and forth in a very simple, easy, effective way. Um, in a way that doesn't require lots and lots of developers to come and build these custom solutions. And that's how we were doing back in the day. Um, that's not how modern companies do it anymore. And that's how, you know, blockchain is being used. It's, it's, there are a lot of use cases in blockchain where it's a solution looking for a problem or speculative. Um, but if you look at big companies, enterprises, uh, even, even smaller companies, Data sharing is a real problem. Creating cross-company workflows is a real problem. And that's how blockchain technology is being used today. That's a great, great, great explanation because, you know, even I wasn't totally uh, sure that I understood the whole uh, channel. So date, there is so much data today and getting stuck is a really good way to put it because it's not sharing the appropriate data across the channel. And so you, you have fragments in this information that you can't really see what exactly the whole story is. So blockchain gives us that, that ability. And you know, data to share, there's a lot of privacy laws and all of that. So we have to be careful about that as well. So having, having this sharing across the channel with trusted partners is so critical. You're 100% right. You know, the key thing that you said there is get the stories right across multiple parties. That's mm -hmm. really how we say it. It's a single version of the truth that you and your partners can trust. So when you send out a file, when you send out some data to your partners on, hey, we're going to get this particular part on a, this particular day at this price, you are not, the, your partner is not wondering, did I get the latest one? Did they send me the latest? Did it change? Well, it's been a couple hours. Did it change again? 
did they send the, do I have the best data? Is this actionable? Can I really trust this? Uh, how about if your partners forwards it on to someone else who needs that? Well, it's two steps out. Do I need to call them and make sure? We end up being human blockchains. You know, mm-hmm. blockchain is not solving a new problem. I mean, think about the Roman era, right? When Caesar, let's say, ate some corn, let's just go with corn, and said, <laughs> wow, this is some delicious corn. Who grew this? Uh, he asked a guy who asked another guy who asked another guy who found out. And then Caesar said, okay, go bring him. And then again, he asked a guy and who asked another guy. And then finally, they got the person who grew the corn and he got a gold coin or something. So this is exactly the thing we're doing, except they did not have petabytes of data to go around. It was just, you know, one or two lines. So the game of telephone doesn't work when you have petabytes of data to share with. It works great when it's, you know, you're doing one-off or, you know, Caesar situation. Wow. Great, great explanations. Thank you for that. So tell us how female leaders are impacting technology today and blockchain, you know, in business. You know, this this is obviously very near and dear to me as a woman and a mother. I'm a first generation immigrant. Um, there is a there is always this talk of women in technology is very important for diversity, for inclusion. Yes, all of that is true. But one thing that we, as a woman uh, ourselves, and also as leaders, fail to communicate is having women on, women leaders, especially in technology, this is true for anything, but since we're talking technology, uh, is a competitive advantage. And having women leaders helps you look at the problems in ways that are not looked at in a very traditional setting. Um, customer empathy can give you that, that virtuous circle feedback that you don't get if everyone in the room is, is thinking the same way. I'll give you an example. Um, one of the, when we were building, my co-founder and I were building Vendia, one of the things that was very important to us is to make sure that we have enough women leaders, not just women in the company, but also women leaders. When you look at a startup with, with high degree of diversity, you see a lot of male leaders with, with women um, working or reporting up to these male leaders. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing or that's that's the thing that should never be done. Sometimes it just happens because you you have uh, you bring in someone that you know or you're experienced or it, it's, it's happenstance and then they are committed to diversity and they hire women who are also excellent, you know, um, at what they do at their functional competencies and then they kind of groom and grow them. That's great. Um, for us, it was very important to have women leaders, leaders at the helm who are at the table making decisions. Now, is it slightly harder than saying, hey, let's just get, let's just hire the first person, first qualified person we get? Sure, it is. It, it definitely needs some kind of a mechanism to be put in place that we say we will at least in review, you know, three to four women for a leadership role before we go and decide, yeah, we're not, we're only getting male. So how has this helped us is 
that is is we have folks in our marketing department women leaders in marketing department who have helped us really analyze what channels will produce for us and what channels will not produce for us in a faster quicker more succinct manner than uh, a traditional startup would i've worked in other startups before where there is a uh, where i worked with both men and women where the the thesis to go or thesis to follow is look i am a, whether i'm a product marketing or demand gen or 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 some kind of a head of marketing kind of a role and these are the best practices and i'm going to come in with my best practice it's always worked and i'm going to implement that here what our women in our company have done is say i'm going to challenge that i'm going to come in and i'm going to quickly experiment think about this as women what do we do as women whether we are mothers or not at homes uh we are very good at experimenting whether it's through makeup or clothes or latest trends or hey let's use this new air fryer and see if we can make really good lunch for our kids or uh can we try the air fryer to make yummy lunch for us so we're not eating out as much whatever that is what women do really well is experiment and and try new things very quickly without having to worry too much about is this going to work or not we're very good at failing fast running quick experiments i think that translate really well into technology and business especially in startups so when i see women who go i don't know startups are risky i need something more um i need something more that's dependable or i don't think i can really do startups i don't think i have what it takes i just want to you know hold them and say you have what it takes you experiment i mean we've all tried bell bottom and skinny jeans trends sometimes at the same time we have experimented <laughs> that's all you need to do and that can help us um when when macroeconomic environment changes i mean last year was all everything was on the up and up and now everything is on the down and down mm -hmm. change we do that every day in our lives and i think uh that's where women are making a huge impact in technology generally in any field but especially in technology by quick experimentation at least we've seen that in our own companies and we're better for it that's great <clears throat> i loved a lot of the things that you were saying um you know women come with empathy so having more women in your organization is not just diversity and inclusion doesn't just check a box but you're getting added benefit from different thought processes different skill sets different characteristics that are really making your company grow and thrive so i think that's that's amazing and i love the experimenting piece because yeah we do try different things we don't just go linearly you know and say this is one way to do it and that's it uh we always say well how about this how about that and that really sparks the startup to try different things fail fast is okay failure is what brings success if you don't have failure you can't get to success so very very good information that you've provided here about women really making a difference within um an organization in a leadership role so that's that's really critical 
you know, there is a corollary to this, right? And the women who become very successful leaders, the keystone is they know how to fail fast. Mm-hmm. And not only do they know how to fail fast, they know not to take it too seriously. Yeah. That's the thing. The the very critical thing for women when we're growing up, and it doesn't matter what culture you're from or what socioeconomic uh, level you grew up in. One thing that's universally applicable to women is you got to be perfect. You mm-hmm. got to look good. You've got to you got to walk good. You can't cuss. You have to be. Uh, everything needs to be proper and coiffed, and you got to look the part. And you got to look like you didn't you didn't sweat doing it. So <laughs> you know you've got to be a great mother who cooks for the kids and have a career and be good looking and uh, and have a fit body, uh, have the right kind of shoes and clothes and have a great home, but you can't sweat looking like that. Where does this come from, right? When we mm-hmm. are when we are children, I have four boys. So this is very important to me. With the way we raise our our boys is, oh, go try it. You go try it. I mean, even even baseball, basketball, baseball, whatever they're any ball they are playing, there are 50 kids and then there are six kids on the team. So they automatically go in knowing that they're gonna cut, get cut. Mm-hmm. If they made it to the team, then woohoo, that's awesome. But they go in expecting to fail. They go in expecting to not be the hero on the on the field. So they have normalized failures. They are okay with it. They don't make a big deal about it. They don't feel like they are failures. It's just that they didn't get made to the basketball team. But for women, it's if you if you veer off of that, there is a oh my god, don't do this because you can't do it perfectly. You gotta draw perfectly, you gotta sing perfectly, or else you can't do it. So how this manifests when we grow older is that while we are really good at experimenting when others are not watching, we don't want to do we don't want to look imperfect. So we try a lot of things and then we present that one best thing eventually on Instagram or wherever that is. This happens at workplace too. And you know, being a leader is you are in a very vulnerable position. Uh, Everyone's looking at you and you probably will fail a lot. You will fail a lot more times than you win. And that's a lot for someone to handle if when they have grown up knowing I have to look perfect all the time. So I'm not going to try to do something if I don't look perfect. So when I talk to other women, the thing that I tell them is try to fail intentionally in places and then get comfortable with failure. So it could be just go on LinkedIn and follow your you know, people who you look up to or who inspire you and then comment something. You might get some hate, you might get some love and sometimes worst part is some, no one responds to you. Post on LinkedIn, you know, or when you're uh, at the airport, ask for an upgrade, even if you don't have enough miles. So what's the worst that could happen? You will end up in economy, that's okay. Uh, when you're at Starbucks, ask for an upgrade, ask for free stuff. Some of these will make you look like a complete fool, but that helps you grow the failure muscle. So 
yes, we are really good at experimentation, but we also do this, do it, you know, in, in our own uh, comfort zones. But as a leader, when we get very good being vulnerable for our experiments to fail in front of everyone else, voila, that's where the magic goes off. And that's when we start, you know, doing really, really well in life. So if anyone wants to shortcut their way to leadership, just start failing and don't be afraid to look like a fool. I've looked like a fool more times in my life than I've looked otherwise. And uh, so I've taken one for the team. So you can, you can go do it and you'll be okay. I'm okay. That's That's, great. That's great. Great advice. Oh my gosh. It's so true. I've been there, done it. I, you know, I've taught my entire team to negotiate everything. Even if it's a good price, negotiate it. It doesn't matter, you know, because we're running a business. We need to be lean. We need to do the things that we need to do. And most of them are like shying away from that initially, but then they build their confidence in order to ask, you know, and I've trained them how to do that. And it's so important. It really is. It really makes such a difference because, yeah, if you don't get it, okay, we'll move on, right? But sometimes when you win that that negotiation, you feel so good and your confidence goes up, you know, 10 notches. So it's really, really great. So true. So true. Amen to that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so this podcast, as you know, is focused around bridging culture, pay, and employment gap for women in tech. What are you seeing from your lens in the industry today? You know, there, there, is a, there are two, two parts to this. It's one within our own company and then one outside. Mm-hmm. Um, within our own company, uh, what we have done is we are very cognizant about this pay inequity for folks. Uh, what you said is absolutely the reason for pay equity. You know, people don't ask. Mm-hmm. Sometimes um, women, minority, LGBTQ, we're all taught, you should be grateful you're here, which I am very grateful mm-hmm. that I'm here. But by God, I've worked to get here. Mm-hmm. And by God, I am worth it. So I need to ask for what I'm supposed to get paid. Mm-hmm. Most of the times, this information is also not available um, outside to compare against what everyone else is getting paid. And the secrecy of it is, is what um, keeps the rest of us from actually getting paid equitably. So the way we have done it at, at Vendia, at, at our startup, is we just, when we first start talking to you, we tell you what the range is. Mm-hmm. And if you're like, that's too low then okay i mean we get it we can mm-hmm. we can pay you what we can pay you mm-hmm. uh also we have fixed pay at each level and we tell you that so you know other folks at your level and for your functional area what you're getting paid mm-hmm. so that makes it very straightforward so you know i mean irrespective of what the industry is doing what you're going to get here and if is it equitable or not so the as much transparency as possible is very, very important to bridge that gap. But uh, look, there is a lot the world can do to change, but in my opinion, what can we do something about it is we can seek out as, as women or minorities, what we can do is we can seek out other people and say, what do you think should be the right 
pay scale for this particular role. Sure, I mean, if you have friends or if you have contacts that you can ask, hey, can you give me the range of how much you make so I know? If you're comfortable or if you know enough people asking for that, sure, why not? But also asking of, given what you make, how much would a person who is maybe a level below you or a level above you or your peer should be making in such and such a company? Uh, for that, you've got to put yourself out there. You've got mm -hmm. to meet more people and ask for help. You know, human beings, we really like helping other people. It's fulfilling to help. So when someone asks me for help, it's not only in the benefit of you, it's a benefit to me because now I feel like a good person. So by asking for help, you're not just giving them more work you're probably giving them an opportunity to fulfill themselves. As long as it's a, you have to help me, it's not, as long as it's not that, if, as long as they have an out to say, I would love to, but not this time, mm -hmm. then one is go ask, ask for help. That's, that's the first, first one. And the second one is, yes, it's not transparent. Yes, it's not equitable at all. Uh, as women, we make way less money than men do. Uh, mm -hmm. minorities even even less so. Um, so what can we do about it is, is ask, figure out how to get paid transparency. There are a lot of sites now that, uh, that you can go and assess this. Blind is one of them, Glassdoor. Uh, it takes work. It's not straightforward. Uh, I wish it wasn't so, but it is. And we can do some research on our own. And the third one is ask the recruiter, ask the HR that's doing this. Hey, upfront, before spending any time, because you are worth it. Your time is worth it. You say, what's the pay scale for this? What are you willing to pay? And then if that's lower than what you're making, then you say, look, this is my range. This is where I'm comfortable. And be unapologetic about it. You, have, you don't have to apologize because they are paying less money than what you currently make or they're paying less money than what you want to make or you're not bad for expecting more or less. We need to stop this self-talk ACP. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. An employer is not making, um, is not doing charity here. It's a business transaction they're getting something, you're giving something. It's, it is, the assessment here is, is that a fair price? It's no different from when you go on Amazon and look at a new dress and go, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to pay 150 bucks for this. And you pass and then you wait for a discount or not, or you go someplace else. So it's the same assessment that you need to do in this situation as well. So don't put stories in this of, I am a bad person if I turn them down or uh, they are doing this for me. So I need to come in and then undercut myself. You don't, you don't know anything to anyone and neither do they. Mm -hmm. So as long as we keep this at a, this is a business transaction and I need some data points to make a data-driven decision, then everybody goes home happy. So I really like what you said about, you know, having a network and having people that you can trust and ask questions to and put yourself out there and ask those questions. Um, and then uh, people love helping 
other people. I mentor women all the time and I have very little time, but I still make time because it's important to me. It makes me feel good. It makes me uh, feel like I'm helping somebody. I'm taking them to that next level. I love it. So ask for help. I think really important things that you said that women most times don't do because they don't have the confidence to do it. And they're worried about all that negative Nancy talk in their head, you know, get over that. It's a business transaction. This is why you make these decisions. So really, really good tips. Thank you for that. So um, as you look back on your career, is there anything that you wish you had known about uh, about leading a tech business that now you know, but then you didn't. What did you learn? Oh, wow. Yes, <laughs> a lot. Thanks for a lot. I've learned a lot through my career. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot. Not just generally about leading a tech business, it's general leading mm -hmm. in life, mm -hmm. I mean, leading my own life, I think. Well, top things, top couple things that, yeah, that really yeah. made an impact on you. I absolutely. And I think this this is going to resonate with almost anyone. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I could guarantee this is that waiting till I am whatever enough to take that mm -hmm. next step. Mm -hmm. I, again, as I said, this is not just heck, this is anything in life. I've got, I've got to be skinny enough, tall enough. I need to know this tech enough. I need to have that read that book or enough books or, done a marathon before I could do why uh -huh. there is no correlation between the two no correlation or I don't have this background so I can't do that I didn't go to this school so I don't have that I am I had I had it so that I am I can't really be a, a very successful leader uh, because I don't look like the other leaders, which were tall white male. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a tall white man. I'm five foot four brown woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a tall white man. So how do you fix that? You can't fix that. I mean, I think it is, a. I was scared. Mm -hmm. I'm still scared, but I'm, I was scared and this was a really good story to tell myself. So I can't be all that because guess what? I'm not a six foot two white guy. Sometimes right. we use these stories to as, as this insulation, as this blubber around ourselves. So we don't have to go try it because trying new things is scary. It's hard. It's scary. It's, it's like, you know, you're being at the edge of the cliff and looking down and go, oh boy. I mean, I could fly or I could crash and burn. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you got to step off that. And sometimes you realize, wow, that cliff was like a foot. I just landed right there. I just walked. There was nothing. <laughs> You've got to scare yourself enough time. So, I mean, anything I wished I had known was, that I don't have to wait for X for me to go do Y. And most times they're not interconnected. They were perfectly connected in my head, perfectly connected in a lot of people's heads. Mm -hmm. They will argue and advocate till the cows come home that they are somehow connected. But I'm here to tell you, they are not. Mm -hmm. You're scared and it's okay to be scared. 
I am still scared. The, the whole feeling of anxiety has not gone away. I'm just still doing it because I can't let it stop me anymore. Because when I'm 80 years old or however old I will be before I go, I won't be wondering, you know, would I have still been scared? But I would be, I would have regret that I didn't try. Right. So I'm going to try. If, I, if I'm a spectacular failure, so be it. I'll be very spectacular at it, at that too. But I would go out that way rather than not trying. I think that's such good attitude. And so many women can learn from that because it is really important to say, I am enough. I can do this. I, get those bad thoughts out of your head. Get the confidence built. Try, fail, go back again, try again. That's how you build your confidence. That's how you build uh, success. Um, if you don't fail, you're not going to be able to build success. You're not going to have lessons learned and you don't want that as a regret. So really, really good, good points. So you are just an amazing woman, Shruti. And I want to ask you who inspires you and why? Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. You know, my grandmother, my mom's mother, was this little girl grew up in a small village in India and married this, uh, my grandfather in her teens. I mean, she's long past. So this was, we were talking early 1900s at this point. And uh, she didn't finish her, her school. I mean, she didn't even graduate uh, high school at this point and learns at home how to make chemicals, different types of chemicals. My grandfather was a general manager at a chemical industry and then mixes chemicals at home uh, hmm. and uh, builds her own chemical empire, including factories, you know, and my grandfather retired. He was like, this is great. I mean, you do this. Uh, <laughs> And not only was she that, she was, she was, she had a lot of artistic qualities about her. And she was the person who taught me how to, how to read the uh, balance sheet and PL statements when I was in third grade. I mean, she used to babysit me after school. My school was right next to her house. So I used to go hang out with her in the afternoons. So she would, she taught me how to pick stocks from a newspaper. And it was all self-thought. And my, my quest always has been, how did she do this, you know, in 70s and 80s when uh, there was no internet in India, she was not educated, it was all self-thought, and there were not enough even books to, be, to learn all of this from back in the day, and she, did, she was not at the right place at the right time. And despite of all that, she was able to get to the place where that she did she, she built incredible wealth for her family um and uh employed a lot of folks it built incredible wealth for the people that she employed so my hope and dream is to do the same thing for folks and you know uh, that th much thanks to god i'm in much better place more of a writer more right of a place and the right time than she was so I think that I have this opportunity. I'm very grateful for this opportunity that I can do what she wanted to do and what she did 
at a larger scale. And then, you know, people who come from very low means, but end up doing so much with the hand that they're dealt, such, so are, such people inspire me. Um, That's so true. Oh my God, your grandmother inspires me. <laughs> I wish I, had, <laughs> I wish I had met her. That is amazing. That what she's yeah put together to employ people in a time that it's unheard of. You know, there was no technology. There was probably women was not. It was not easy for women to get ahead, and she did all of that despite the times and the the restrictions that she had. So that's really amazing. Boy, she is really an inspiration. And now it makes me think, okay, this is the grandmother I want to be for my kids, you know, for my grandkids. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's great. That's great. Well, in closing, uh, Shruti, can you share with our listeners how they can get a hold of you? Oh, yes. I am on LinkedIn. Uh, Shruti Rao is the name. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. Um, reach out. I'm happy to talk to you guys. That's great. Well, it was such an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope to have you on again soon. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for listening to Tech in the Right Direction. Please take a minute to subscribe or follow so that you never miss an episode. Also, don't forget to like, share, and comment. Thank you. See you next week. From IT skill enhancements to end user adoption training, Directions Training is your resource to help optimize the effectiveness of your technology investments. Over half a million students have taken advantage of our wide selection of technology and business training solutions covering the most popular applications today, such as Microsoft 365, Azure, Windows 10, and more. As a podcast listener, we invite you to take advantage of an exclusive offer. Receive 30 days of free access to our Microsoft official curriculum on-demand courses for IT professionals or end-users. Visit us at www.directionstraining.com slash podcast to claim this offer today. Hurry, this offer is only available for a limited time. Success is a journey. Ask for directions.